Hello and welcome to Three Peas in a Pod, the new podcast from the team behind Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin. I'm Paul Jarvis, the editor of the Bulletin, and I've been so for over a decade now, and yet I didn't come up with the brilliant pun for this podcast. That accolade goes to our researcher, Rory. I have with me today Deputy Editor Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. And we'll be hearing a bit more from him later. So, in today's episode, I'm going to give you a brief overview of what this podcast is all about. Then, Jonathan and I are going to jump into perhaps some of the biggest issues facing the industry at the moment, specifically rising inflation and struggling supply chains. From there, we're going to Ukraine. Not an unrelated topic, but one that is garnering international attention, as focus is already shifting towards rebuilding the country. Jonathan will be taking a look at some of the numbers from a recent World Bank report. And finally, we will have a little roundup of the gossip and the lighter side of the partnerships world. First, though, what is the purpose of this podcast? I hear you all screaming. Well, the idea is to give you a 20-minute roundup of some of the big things happening in the PPP world today, while hopefully entertaining you too. It'll take a few different forms. So today, for example, we're talking among ourselves about some of the global trends. In future weeks, we may dedicate podcasts to specific trends or events in certain geographies. And there'll be plenty of interviews with industry experts to punctuate the general chit-chat, with public and private sector voices lined up to answer our questions. So let's get started. Today, as I mentioned, we're taking a look at global inflation. Jonathan, it's a simple question for you to begin with. How is all this affecting the PVP industry? Thanks very much, Paul. Now, I think it does have to be said that it affects different areas differently. We've seen some places which are more used to high inflationary environments such as Brazil able to manage it a little bit better that's just a skills based thing generally but for more developed economies such as you know the United States Canada and UK and western Europe it is safe to say it's having a massive impact then we all know that anyway we've seen some huge projects including say the Deerfoot trail in Alberta Canada a really big highway project just cancelled due to instability and inflation. If you can't pin down the prices, then it's really hard to predict a 30-year contract. Paul, I know it's not just uh, Canada. In the UK, you've seen something similar? Yes, that's true. We recently had our UK Partnerships Hub event, and at that event, someone from the Welsh government was talking about their problems on a live project, the procurement of new schools across a bundle of schools. And actually trying to, as you mentioned, pin down a price is something that has proven difficult for them. Contractors or supply chain not willing to hold a price for any given time, really, which makes it impossible to then establish a fixed price contract. Having said that, I think since that event, there has been some movement from Eurostat, which is the agency that deals with statistics around PPP contracts and others, where they have said, and I quote, that a procurement authority can take or share the risk of movements in construction prices during the construction phase without any impact on the statistical treatment of a PPP. So on the one hand, that's that's good news. That means that projects like the things in Wales can look at the public sector taking that risk and not having to worry about whether it means it's no longer a, an off-balance PPP project or not. But on the other hand, that's not necessarily what a public authority wants to do. So it's basically another big decision for lots of these authorities on how much they take. I think we've also seen it not just in the UK, but also in the US, as you mentioned. And I was doing a, an article not long ago on... Uh, higher education and talking to a few different people in that sector where projects are facing 
some challenges around these issues, unsurprisingly, and it's reverting back to the authorities, the institutions themselves, to decide, A, do we continue with this? B, do we continue at a lower scope? So we take some of the elements out and have a smaller building than we first perhaps planned? Or C, do we delay it? And delay is an option for some, whether that works in the long run, because I think most people agree that inflation, although it's going up at a a high pace at the moment and, and has all the various effects that it does, we don't see usually the prices of materials and things suddenly starting to come down. They simply slow down their growth. Yeah, and we have seen some authorities actually manage to come up with some early doors solutions to this. We hear a lot about the problems, but for instance, Georgia Department of Transportation in a recent investor day came up with ways to share risk or at least indicated that they were, are willing to have conversations about how their major projects are procured and who's going to be taking on what risk. And as I said, it is early days, but it isn't just a massive problem. There are people really, really figuring out how we can move forward in this environment. I mean, we've seen over the last you know couple of months some major private sector-led initiatives, including big associations all coming together to write an open letter to the White House, which is looking to push back the introduction of Buy America, Build America requirements. And what this is basically a bid to do is to ease some of the extra stresses. If we can't move our way around or solve inflation as a whole, we could help remove some of the extra things that are just ratcheting up prices at the same time. Uh, But the thing is, you've got to put this into a larger scheme. And whilst the present is really tough for everyone in the PPP industry, a number of sources have told me that PPPs could become more attractive in the long run. Now, needless to say, price rises are hitting public authorities across the board. It's not just their infrastructure programs that are, you know, going up in price. Their fiscal space is being decreased across every single element of their portfolio. So whether that's, you know, buying school books, they're going up in price or building a bridge that is as well. Now, all of this is leading to less headroom. And that means authorities could seek more off balance sheet procurements. And as one source told me that the skills that the private sector have can become more and more valuable as you get into tough and tougher places, whether that's dealing with the volatility of rate rises from the feds or in terms of actually being able to handle these kind of long term financial situations that gets more and more sought after. And so PPPs become more and more valuable. Now, Also, pressures like these stimulate changes, not just in kind of the authorities' minds, but also they change society as a whole. And we've seen over the last few months the role of the gas tax really being called into question because less and less people are driving and also Biden's planning to bring in more and more EV usage. Paul, this is something that you've been looking into again? Yes, a little bit. I think the gas tax has long been a sticking point in American politics. It hasn't risen for 30 years because of the politics around it. And Biden did consider introducing a gas tax holiday. He sort of proposed it as a a positive way around some of these inflationary pressures, which obviously on the face of it sounds good. Everyone enjoys a holiday. But I think there are then questions around, is it reintroduced? And I think, you know, I did a blog piece actually that was perhaps slightly provocative in the sense that I was questioning whether this was a policy failure or some slightly Machiavellian brilliant master plan whereby we see the gas tax quietly put to one side and put to bed, if you like, perhaps forevermore so that people no longer 
consider having to pay the gas tax. And suddenly that helps people to realise that payments need to be made for infrastructure, for their roads that they travel on. The gas tax has never really provided that, or not for many years. By getting rid of it completely, people perhaps will no longer travel along roads and face tolls and come along and say, well, I don't want to have to be told because I pay the gas tax. That should fix my roads for me. So I think that's something that has been forced uh, upon the country that may happen as a result of the inflation. And I think the gas tax itself is slightly anathema to Biden's plans anyway, if he's putting so much effort and focus on environmental concerns, so much investment into electric vehicle charging, all that kind of infrastructure, then at some point, if you're going to get a country that is running entirely on electric vehicles, the gas tax will be receiving absolutely no money into it. So I think it's an interesting time for the gas tax for how you fund road infrastructure in particular in this case. And I think that the inflationary pressures are having quite a strong impact on that and and may actually force the hand in a way that even the the environmental kind of charge hasn't managed to do as yet. It is worth saying at the same time that, you know, these kind of effects take a long time to come into force, these changes. I mean, we saw with the pandemic, things really do change our behaviour. I don't know how many people listening are listening from their office or from their home office. But this happens, things change, but it takes a long time. And it does have to be said that the added complexity that P3s bring does turn some authorities' heads away, but these long-term changes could pull more towards it. But, I mean, that is yet to be seen. So needless to say, with inflation, there are some people really coming up with innovative ways to get around it. There are some places that are really struggling to come to terms with it. It's still a wait-and-see moment with inflation But this moment does seem to be dragging on for quite a long time. And who knows what the future holds, truthfully. Indeed. And now on to Ukraine, which is all bound up in actually what we've just been talking about in many ways. However, I want to concentrate on something a bit different here, actually. As we all know, the war there has caused serious devastation. And many countries are obviously focusing their support on the day-to-day survival of the country. However, we have started to see a bit of a long-term view uh, emerging from from different nations as they invest in in Ukraine and support the Ukrainian government, and I think we're starting to see them start to think a bit more strategically about what happens next. And I think there's a good case to say that the partnership industry could have a huge opportunity to play its part here. Jonathan, do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, you know we've seen a tragic few months, but we have also seen Ukraine and its allies very conscious of what comes next. We've seen a few big announcements, such as German Chancellor Olaf Scholz recently saying that he wants to create a new Marshall Plan for Ukraine. And for those who don't know, the Marshall Plan was what rebuilt Europe after the Second World War. But some Ukrainian figures have also put out some statistics of their own, saying that would require around $750 billion worth of investment. Now, this is obviously a lot of money, and I'm sure everyone is sure that there is going to be a role for private finance in this. What form that will take is still naturally up in the air. But nevertheless, PPPs are already being put in the frame. To point to a couple of interesting things that we've seen, the US Treasury recently started a search for PPP advisors to help on its overseas affairs, specifying Ukrainian and Russian speakers. And the UK government has said it's creating plans for a Ukraine-UK private finance partnership agency to help aid the recovery in a number of sectors. Now, we've seen over the last couple of years that public-private partnerships as an arm for multilaterals has become increasingly important. 
And we've seen geopolitical moves like Build Back Better World, the Three Seas Initiative, and of course the China Belt and Road Initiative, all putting privately financed infrastructure in one way or another right at the heart of major geopolitical events. And I think that is set to continue. And the UK government said that it's creating plans for the Ukraine-UK private finance partnership agency to help aid recovery in a number of sectors. Prior to the war in Ukraine, the country had actually built up significant momentum in its PPP sector. It procured or was procuring a number of port and road PPPs and that platform of expertise could prove extremely useful in the future if they choose to go down that route. Yes, okay, thank you. I think, yeah, lots to consider and lots to get into there. I think um, some of the other things we've seen as well was the, the G7 development ministers, and I think this is important given that it is the G7, they issued a statement in May saying that they stand ready to support the reconstruction and rehabilitation of Ukraine's economy towards a balanced and green recovery. And I think, again, that reference to sort of green infrastructure is perhaps uh, interesting because, as we know, it's something that all governments are excited about at the moment. It's what they kind of get out of bed to put their money in and invest in uh, almost on a daily basis. So I think there's definitely some big opportunities there to consider how these things are done. We also saw just in July the UK and Ukraine Infrastructure Task Force being launched. So again, the UK sort of really pushing on this. I know this is um, something that was quite close to the heart of Boris Johnson in, the, in his sort of final final months in office. And this does remind me actually of uh, previous times where there have been conflicts and the infrastructure community has had to go in post-conflict and help out. I remember one advisor once telling me a story of his adventure into Libya during the war, in fact, sort of sitting on the rooftop of the hotel that he was staying at at night while watching the fireworks show that was the fighting going on just in the distance. So I think this is definitely an opportunity for perhaps the more adventurous in the infrastructure community. But Certainly, perhaps not right now, but in the long term, there's a a big opportunity out there for investors, developers, advisors to really start rebuilding Ukraine. Now, Jonathan, you've been taking a look at some interesting figures that have been published by the World Bank over the summer. Yep, I have. Thanks, Paul. The World Bank posts some really, really interesting statistics every year, which tells about how much investment has been flowing into emerging markets and what sectors have been going up and down over the year. So compared to 2020, uh, investment has seen a major upswing, up to $72.6 billion. That's an increase of 49%. Now, no one would be that surprised about that because we were still in lockdowns at that point, but it still does have some indication that you know confidence is growing back in those markets. But as always, there is a story behind the statistics. The upswing in Latin America and Asia are certainly to be lauded, but they were largely spearheaded by Brazil's concession pipeline, which is enormous, and Uzbekistan's impressive PPP momentum. Now, these do kind of cover up the major decreases that we've seen in some areas of the world, South Asia, as well as across Africa and the Middle East, particularly North Africa, declined by 90%. On last year. That is a staggering statistic. Now, in terms of sectors, transport remains the dominant sector, pulling in over half the investment around the globe at 58%. And surprisingly, investment in energy projects fell by 26% compared to 2020 levels, which may be surprising, seeing as there's such a big impetus around green investment. But in what sectors we don't know yet, 
So let's wait and see on that. Very interesting to see, I think, the, the difference in geographies around the world where investment is rising or falling, depending on where you are in the world. wonder how much of that is to do with a um, COVID lag, uh, depending on where things are happening in the world. But um, certainly, if you look at global investment houses, plenty of them have a focus on Africa. I think just to mention one, Meridium, we know they do an awful lot uh, in Africa and are keen to generate more projects there so whether that's won't be i suppose a lack of finance it'll be perhaps down to a lack of projects coming through the pipeline at the moment and yeah so we definitely want to keep an eye on i think and see how things develop over the next 12 months and more now, jonathan have you noticed while we've been sitting here there's been someone lurking in the background i think i vaguely recognize him as many listeners will remember at the Back of the magazine, we used to have a page for our resident snoop, Hackett P. Dealsworth. Uh, he used to dish the gossip and some of the lighter news from the industry. Well, I'm delighted to say that he joins us now. Hello, Paul. Hello, Jonas. Hello, Hackett. Um, many of our listeners thought you were nothing more than a, a two-dimensional construct, you know, created for anonymity's sake. But no, here you are. Yeah. You have a voice. So, what have you got for us today? Well, Paul, I've recently been informed of an exciting new project that is going to be tendered in the near future. Oh, yes. Oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Well, apparently the A9 in Scotland is progressing well, and uh, the Scottish government... Oh, hang hang on. Did did you say, sorry, the A9? That's the one. Ah. um, Don't don't necessarily get your hopes up just yet, Hackett. Um, People have been telling us for a while that this project is about to be tendered, um, and we haven't really seen it so far. Ah, well, that is a shame. Yes, but... I mean, you never know, actually. This could be the time that it, it does come through. Apparently it's still sort of resting on the Scottish Government's willingness to get comfortable with the MIM model. Oh, is that right? And I hear that that's not too far away. So, yeah, we may be perhaps a bit more optimistic on that than we have been recent years, but we'll see. We'll, we'll keep an open mind. Fair enough. Anything else? Well, uh, have you ever wondered what senior staff in a PPP project spend their time discussing? Oh, hasn't everyone? <laughs> Well, uh, would you be surprised to learn that it's axe-wielding vandals and blueberry spillages? Uh, yes, I would. What's this about? Well, those were some of the messages sent between some of the top officials on the Ottawa Light Rail project in Canada. As you may know, the Confederation Line PPP is the subject of a commission to find out what went wrong on the project. And as part of the evidence, a pile of messages between some of the top people in charge have been released. Among more significant issues for the operation of the project, there was one message about someone who decided to take an axe to a fare kiosk, and another relating to a spillage of blueberries on a station escalator. And this is meant to be proof of what, exactly? Well, to be fair, the large trove of messages is more broadly indicative of some of the trouble facing the launch of the new line, and how those at the top have struggled to fix them. One message suggests the mayor was losing his mind over the problems. Well, it certainly does prove an insight of sorts. Stressful times. Yeah, well, that reminds me, you know, there's a lot of focus on stress that many PFI providers in the UK are coming under at the moment. I'm told that one project went to market for some specific FM services, but no one wanted to bid because of the reputation that working on a PFI has and the strain that this particular contract was already under. Oh dear, that's not a healthy situation to be in, is it? It's interesting you mention the strain caused by PFI, though. It's something I've been looking at recently, and I'm sure will be the subject of a future podcast. Uh, as we see some contracts putting strain on those at the sharp end. Thanks, Hackett, and I look forward to seeing you next time. My pleasure. Well, that's all we have time for in our inaugural podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and please do subscribe for more.